hardwired into every human heart a desire to experience glory, to experience something glorious, transcendent, worthy of praise. God has hardwired into us a longing to be caught up in glory. And that's why we do, uh, those of us who do, watch sports, professional sports. That's why we go to concerts. That's why we go to the art museum. That's why we take time out sometimes to, to watch a sunset, because we want to be caught up in something beautiful, something glorious, something worthy of praise. This is how God has designed us. But ultimately, he's designed us to know his glory, which transcends all other glory. That's in our hearts. And God wants to communicate that glory to us, his creation, his creatures. And the more that we experience the glory of God, the more satisfied we are, because this is what he's designed us to, to do. Jonathan Edwards, the 18th century um, Puritan theologian and preacher, <coughs> often talked about the glory of God. And I like some of the imagery that he uses. He, he said, you know, God's glory is like the sun that is radiating with light. Think of God's glory as beams of light coming from the sun. And then we as his creatures made in his image are made to glorify him. So when we glorify God, the, the glory bounces back to him. So he shines his glory on us, and in praise and worship and the way we live our life, we reflect that glory back to him. And that's how God has designed it. So Edward says, again, this is Edward, he says, God's glory is the beginning, the middle, and the end of his creation. And we get to be caught up in that as his creatures, those made in his image. So this is what God has made us for. And I, I wonder sometimes if the, the, the sort of longing that we feel and the emptiness that we feel in our lives in the midst of our busyness, and in the midst of all the gadgets that we have and the technology and the entertainment that we can um, avail ourselves of. I mean, we can binge watch TV for, for hours and hours and hours with Amazon Prime and Netflix and Hulu, whatever we have. We can binge ourselves on this entertainment. And, and, and yet, there's this sense of longing. So I think one of, you know, the dryness sometimes we experience in worship it feels like we're just going through the motions. I think some of this could be related to the fact that we're not hungry like we should be to know the glory of God. To experience the glory of Him and His presence. These other things, yes, are, are signs pointing us to a greater reality, a greater glory. And God is drawing us to experience glory in Him. So I think our prayer when we feel that, when we sense that emptiness, again, even in the context of worship, is God, give me a taste of your glory. Give me a hunger, a desire to know the glory of your presence. So God has hardwired into us a longing for glory, his glory. And the good news of this passage of John 13 is that God has revealed his glory for all the world to see and for us to experience in Jesus Christ. The problem of, of uh, experiencing or knowing the glory of God is not a problem of God hiding. It's a problem of us not seeking 
are not really trusting where he's revealed his glory. Because it says here that God is glorified in Jesus. God's glory shines through the Son of Man. And so um, the good news is that as we look to Jesus, as we develop a relationship with Jesus, as we trust in him, we know something of the glory of God. We don't have to go up on a mountain like Moses did. He went up to Mount Sinai for 40 days. And he experienced the glorious presence of God. When he came down, it says that his face shone with the glory of God. That was a, a, a transcendent moment, a sublime moment in the history of Israel. But we don't have to do that as believers. The glory of God has been revealed in Jesus Christ. And, and in fact, you could say one of the ways that we know that we're a Christian is that when we look to Jesus we see something of the beauty and the majesty and the goodness and the love of God. I mean, there is something that draws us to him. That's one of the ways that we can know that we belong to him. The Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So I think that's one definition of a Christian. Somebody who looks to Jesus and sees glory, sees beauty, sees majesty, something that draws them in to God. Now, all of Jesus' life and ministry shines with the glory of God. All aspects of his life, his, his perfect life, his obedience unto death, of course, his resurrection. His ascension, his exaltation at the right hand of the Father in the presence of God where he bears our humanity to God. All that is glorious. All that shines with the glory of God. But the interesting thing and the ironic thing here is I think what John is focusing us on here is that God's glory is revealed through Christ in Jesus' suffering. That's the irony of this part of the Gospel of John. Because what's about to happen to Jesus is that he's, he, he is about to be arrested and uh, tortured and crucified. And yet it's in that context where Jesus says, now the Son of Man is glorified. Look at verse 31. It says, when he had gone out. Now, unless you're looking at John's in your Bible, you're not going to understand the context unless you, you remember what's happening here. The context is G Judas Judas has gone out. This is the Lord's, this is the Last Supper. So at this point, Judas has gone out because remember, Jesus predicted that somebody is going to betray me. And he said, the person to whom I give this morsel of bread is the one who's going to betray me. And then he gives it to Judas. Can you just imagine the tension emotionally in this room? He gives it to Judas. Judas takes the bread, and then John says, immediately he, he got up and he left. And, and this is kind of poetic of John to say this in verse 30. And it was night. You see? It was an hour of darkness. It was a time where the prince of darkness was at work. And it's in this setting where Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified. He's saying it's already, it's almost as good as done. Because now the wheels have been set in motion for Jesus to go to the cross. 
And Jesus understood that the cross was where God's glory was going to operate. Look at what Jesus says in verse 27 of chapter 12, the previous chapter, if you have your Bible. He says, Now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. I mean, Jesus is now facing the, the, the prospect of the cross, the horror of the cross. And he says, my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, this hour of suffering. But from this purpose, for this purpose, I've come to this hour. And then here's our word. Father, glorify your name in the suffering that's to come at this hour. And then a voice comes from heaven. I've glorified it. The Father responds, and I will glorify it again. And then later on, Jesus says in the same passage to the crowd, when I am lifted up from the earth, talking about his cross, I will draw all people to myself. So this is how God is glorified in Jesus through the cross. That the cross is a spiritual magnet. The cross has drawing power. When the work of the Spirit operates on people who hear the message of God's forgiveness and God's love and God's mercy, it can melt a stony heart and people will give glory to God for saving them like that. That God has stooped down so low to save them at the cross. Church Father Origen called the cross an image of the humble glory of God humble glory of God. So I know it's true in my life. I wonder about yours. And I know in many of your lives it's true too. That this is what has drawn you to God. Is the love that has been displayed at the cross of his son Jesus Christ. The mercy. The forgiveness. The, uh, the, the, the self-sacrifice offered there at the cross. This is how God glorifies himself through Jesus Christ. There was a Japanese Christian in the early 20th century. I think I've referred to him before in preaching here. I love the story of this guy named Toyohiko Kagawa. Toyohiko Kagawa in the early part of the 20th century. He, uh, he ministered to the poorest of the poor in Japan. He actually lived, at this time there were like six major slums in Japan. And nobody was really reaching out to them. Toyohiko Kagawa went in there with a wheelbarrow. All the, 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 the only possessions he had, he went into the slums with a wheelbarrow and lived among the people there. He subsisted on two bowls of rice a day. He wanted to identify fully with the poor. He, he just basically had the clothes on his back. He didn't buy new clothes. And people were drawn to him because he was loving them in the slums. And he developed social reforms and made a great impact in Japan. But he wrote this statement. He was, of course, raised in... Um, in Japan with the ethnic re religions of Japan sort of uh, coursing through his, his blood, so to speak, and part of the culture. So he said, you know, I am very grateful for Shinto and Buddhism and Confucianism. But they didn't answer the deepest longings of my heart. He said, as I've gone through this world and I've seen the suffering and the tragedy and I've experienced it myself, what I need to know is the divine love of God and it is uniquely displayed all the other religions, it's uniquely displayed at the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's what captures us all. So the glory of God shines through Jesus, 
and ironically, preeminently, at the cross of Jesus. And so, brothers and sisters, what we need to do is make much of the cross of Christ. As a church, we lift up the cross of Christ. We point people to Jesus and the love that's displayed there, the forgiveness of sins that's offered there. If we have occasion to talk to people about God and what God means to us, we need to point them not to God in the abstract. We need to point them to Jesus where God says, this is where I'm glorified. This is where I shine. This is where the drawing power is. In Jesus, and especially the cross. So let's make much of the cross of Christ. Jesus says, this is what God is doing in me. And then he gives marching orders for us, the church, for his disciples. He says, a new commandment now I give to you. He is going away. He says, you're not going to be able to follow me. He's ascending to his father. Not yet at any rate. You're not going to be there. I'm leaving you behind. But here are the marching orders. I have work for you to do. This is a new commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Um, it's not a new commandment in the sense that God's never said this before. God has told his people, he told people in Leviticus, in the Old Testament, that they should love him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love their neighbor as themselves. So this idea of loving one another is there in the Old Testament. But the new dimension is that, that, that last part of it, as I have loved you, you see. God incarnate demonstrating self-sacrificial love in the life of Jesus. So Jesus displays a depth of love, and he fills out what this kind of love for one another needs to look like. And this is such a challenge, isn't it? That Jesus says, as my disciples, this is one way the world's going to be drawn to me, is through your love for one another. And what happened at the Last Supper? How did Jesus show them this kind of self-giving, sacrificial love? He washed their feet. He did the work of a slave, of a servant. And now he's getting ready to go to the cross. So he's giving them a picture of what this sacrificial love looks like. And uh, I think the key to obeying that command, and you know, it is a command. It's not like I want you to do this, but this is my commandment as followers. The key to this is understanding how much God loves us in Jesus Christ. As I have loved you. So Filling our hearts and minds continually with the love of Christ for us enables us to love one another in a sacrificial way. I mean, I don't think we can even get close to loving this way. We can't even approximate it. We'll never be able to do it perfectly, but we can't even think about it unless God has spoken to us about his love for us in Jesus Christ. It's just not natural to love the way Jesus did. I mean, maybe parents parents do love their children sacrificially, self-givingly. Especially the littlest ones. When they get to be teenagers, it's another thing. <laughs> we still love them, but it gets harder. <laughs> challenge. It only happens, though, as we focus on what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And there's a story that um, Paul Miller writes about. I talked about Paul Miller's book when I did the prayer series. He's got this book on prayer that I really like. And in, in this story, he said he was uh, at one time an owner of, part time owner of a. Um, a tax business. He had this part-time business of a tax business. He owned the business, but him and his wife went into business doing taxes. And one day, this was back maybe in the early 90s or something, his computer, he deleted his files on his computer. He had a customer waiting for him. This is tax time, okay? Customer's in the waiting room. 
and, and he's working on his computer, and also he actually deleted the whole thing. So he tells this lady, stay here, I'll be right back. Well, he comes back three hours later to get the <laughs> floppy disk. Okay, these are the days of the floppy disk. Remember those? He comes back three hours later. She's still there. And she doesn't say anything. Sorry, I was like, oh, it's fine. He, was, he said, I was so frustrated and anxious and angry and kicking myself and cynical about the world and myself and computers and technology. I came in with such an ugly attitude. And there this woman says, serene, content. And he said, I had to ask her. And he said, I wasn't witnessing to her. I wanted to be witness to. I said, does Jesus mean anything to you? And she said, yeah, Jesus means the world to me. Jesus means everything to me. I talk to him all the time. And he said, at that moment, I saw Jesus in her. Sometimes we don't see Jesus in our daily life. We need to look around and see how people do exercise this kind of love. Love is patient. And she had enormous amounts of patience in that moment. And he said, wow, that was a witness to me. See, our love, the quality of our love is a witness to Christ. And in our church, we have an opportunity, brothers and sisters, because we, we do love each other and for the most part, but we're not perfect, we love each other well. But that needs to be a strength that we continue. And as we face challenges and difficulties, and, 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 and as there's opportunities to discuss different agendas and directions and preferences in the church, let's listen to the words of Christ. Love one another as I have loved you. Sometimes we have to put aside our preferences and agendas for the sake of others. And then Jesus says, by this, this will be a witness. All people will know that you are my disciples. So these are the two things. How does it fit, fit together? The, the first thing is uh, Jesus is glorified. And God is glorified through him. And then the second thing is this is what we need to do. Love one another. I think the way it all fits together is about the glory of God. It is all about the glory of God. God desires to communicate, as Edward says, his glory to his creation. He wants us to be caught up in that. And he wants us to display that glory to the world. And as we love one another, that's one of the ways we can do it. To a hurting world. To a world that says to us, well, we watched on Wednesday night this video about how to reach younger people. And one of the young men in that video, remember this? He said, if it, he says, I'm looking for love, and if it's not in the church, I'm going to go somewhere else. <laughs> and he also said, I'm craving human interaction. I want to see re real relations. And that's what we have to offer as the Church of Jesus Christ. Let's not be afraid of where the culture is headed so much. Let's take an opportunity to say, guys, this is where the life is. This is where the love is in Jesus Christ. We have a great opportunity. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for displaying your glory in the love of Jesus Christ on the cross. What, a, what amazing love that we see there. And uh, we thank you for capturing our hearts with this glory. And we pray that you would help us to love one another, to reflect the sacrificial love, and in some ways to mirror it in, in, in a small way so that we can bring glory to your name, to a world that, that desperately needs to see your light and your love. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everybody says, Amen. Amen.